Welcome to FNT Bible Talk, where we're going through the Bible and showcasing God's glory through His unified story. I'm your host, Felix Birch. On this episode, we're talking about the book of Judges, the need for a king. Hey friends, welcome to F&T Bible Talk. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the book of Judges. So to start off for the book of Judges, what I want to do is I just want us to bring back our understanding of where we left off last week with Joshua. Because what we left off with Joshua is very important to understanding the book of Judges. If you remember, at the end of Joshua, Joshua stood in front of the people and he declared to them, or asked them, who will you serve? Joshua himself had declared that him and his household will serve God. And he put it in front of the people saying, who will you serve? Will you serve the gods of the Canaanites and Baal and such? Or will you serve Yahweh, your God? And they declared in front of him and made a vow themselves that they would serve Yahweh. They would serve the Lord, their God. But what we see in the book of Judges is that they don't. And the book of Judges is a very sad, horrific book when you look at it. It's kind of gruesome. It's got a lot of stories in it that you that would make people cringe and feel uncomfortable. But it shows the depravity and the sinfulness of people. It shows you even the people of God who, without a king, which is something that I'll pick up very much towards the end of the book, they are capable of doing such atrocities when they serve other gods and go after those things. So what we see in the book of Judges, particularly chapter 1 to start off, is that we read and hear about how the people of God failed to do what God had called them to do. And thus they broke covenant with God. It was not God that broke covenant with them, but they broke covenant with God. God had told them to drive out the enemies of Canaan and not to serve the gods of Canaan. Well, they failed to drive them out. Therefore, the people of God began to serve Baal and the gods that were around them in the land. And so what happens is, is moving into chapter 2, we see this cycle that is kind of shown. God speaks about, but this is what's going to happen. And the rest of the book is really just this reoccurring of this cycle. And the cycle is basically this. What we see is that Israel has done evil in God's eyes. They have served Baal, the god of the Canaanites. And because of that, they're going to experience God's anger in a form where they are going to be oppressed by the nations around them and plundered. And this would lead to the people, they would cry out in distress, and they would cry out for God to rescue them. And he would do such by sending a judge and a deliverer to them. And when this judge would die, the cycle would begin all over again, where the people would begin to serve the gods of the Canaanites and begin to serve Baal. And this was the cycle that we're going to see that goes throughout the book. So when chapter 3 starts, which is really where we start seeing the actual judges in each, each one of them and how they ruled and what they did, we always can look back to this cycle and realize, oh, this is what's happening every single time. And one of the things I just want to say about the judges too is that the judges are not perfect people. Even though these people were corrupt leaders, the fact is, is as you read through it, they are. They're not good people. We're not to emulate them and be like, I want to be like these judges. There's some traits we can look in them and say, yes, there's some good things, particularly the first three. And even Gideon has a flash of some good things. But the truth is, is that these are not perfect judges. These are not the, the perfect people. But yet God still loves his people and God still protects them. And God still comes to the rescue, despite even the, the leaders being not 
of great stature in many ways. And it also points us to the fact that we do need a great judge. We need a one true judge, a good judge who will judge righteously and purely, and that is Jesus Christ. So the book of Judges, it's a gruesome book. There's a lot of horrific things in it, but we can learn so much from the story of Judges. And so let's dive in and look at the Judges real quick. So the first three Judges we are introduced to, I would say they're good Judges. You look at them and there's really no major character flaws that you would see here. And the point of this is intentional because the first three Judges, it's as if there's this downward spiral from then onward. The first three, you see people who are just doing what God has called them to do. They walk in obedience. And then after that, you start seeing some questionable character things pop up in all the Judges. The first Judge we read about, his name's Othniel. And Othniel, there's not a lot of detail to his story. But what it does tell us, it perfectly mirrors everything we read about in chapter 2 about how God would raise up these judges. The cycle is exactly as God said it would be. It starts off where it says the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They had forgot the Lord their God. They had served Baal and God's anger would be kindled against them. They are now being oppressed and, and sold by the king of Mesopotamia. They cry out to God, cry out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up a deliverer for him, and it's Othniel. And he, he overcomes them. He defeats the enemies of God. And from there, he reigns for 40 years, and the land has peace. And so it's just the first judge you see is intentionally set up that way so that we can see that what God said and how the cycle would go is exactly as it was. And so it's, there's not a lot of detail about his reign, but we would imagine, and from what it sounds like, Othniel was a good judge for the people of Israel. And then he dies, and they begin to sin again. And the second judge comes. His name is Ehud. And Ehud's story is very interesting. It's actually pretty crazy. But what we see is that, once again, the people of Israel have sinned against God. They begin to serve the other gods. And the people cry out, and God raises up Ehud. And he's in, it's, there's detail about how he's a left-handed man and how they begin having to serve the people of Israel or beginning to serve, sending tribute to the king of the Moabites. So Ehud goes to visit this king to pay his tribute as he's supposed to. And in the process of doing so, he ends up killing this king by sticking a dagger into his belly because the king was so fat that his whole, the whole dagger would go into the man's stomach. And he sneaks out and he leaves. And when he does so... He comes back and he reports to the people of Israel what has happened and they sound the trumpet and they go to war and they slay the Moabites, killing over 10,000 of them. And once again, the land has rest and they are no longer ruled by the Moabites and they had rest for 80 years. And so the cycle continues. And then you see the next judge and the next judge, the same story. Her name is Deborah. And it talks about how the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord again. After Ehud died, and the Lord sold them into the hand of the king of Canaan. And once again, we see these people begin to cry out. The Israelites are crying out because they're afraid of, of the people of Canaan because they have 900 chariots of iron, and they have oppressed the people of Israel for 20 years. And so God raises up a new judge, and her name is Deborah. And Deborah is a prophetess. We read about her, and she calls for a man named Barak to come and to lead the army against the people of Canaan in this army. And she, she tries to tell him to do so, but he's afraid. And he says, I will not go by myself unless you go with me. And she basically says, if you do this, understand that a woman will receive the glory for today. And you will be remembered for not 
going out. And so they do, and they go, and they slay the enemies. And Deborah writes this beautiful song that we see in chapter 5 about the Lord. And and if you read this, it's just a beautiful encouragement to know that this is the Lord God who we serve and his love for the people of Israel. And so the story moves on to the next judge, which is the the judge Gideon. And this is a very interesting judge where I want to pause for a second and look a little bit more detail into Because I think when many people read the story of Gideon, the biggest takeaway they have is, well, I'm going to learn to throw fleeces at God. And I'm going to throw a fleece out and I'll test God. As if Gideon did something that we should should emulate. But the truth is, is, is the author of James in the book of James tells us that we are not to test God. And so I would say that if you look at the story of Gideon, we should not look at the story of Gideon in a sense of, I want to be like Gideon and test God with a fleece. But there is a lot that we can learn from the story of Gideon. And let's just read about what kind of man Gideon is in the first place, because we can relate to this. So the way the story starts is as far as for Gideon goes, the Midianites have oppressed Israel. Israel has once again done what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and so God gave them into the hand of the Midianites. And from there, the Midianites, what they would do is they would rule over the Israelites so much that they would devour every piece of the produce of the land. And there was nothing left, no sustenance left in Israel for the people themselves. And so when we first see Gideon, the first thing we see about him is that he's hiding out and in, in beating out wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. He's fearful. Okay, so the first trait we see about Gideon is that he's fearful. And if we're all being completely honest, this is what we are. We're Gideon. We're we're fearful people. And and we're doubtful people at times. And so we'll relate to these these characteristics of Gideon because that's how we are too in our human nature. But when God appears to him or the angel of the Lord appears to him, he calls him this. He says, Oh, you mighty man of valor. And it's really interesting because you look at that and it's like God is calling Gideon what he's going to be before Gideon is already that. And I think sometimes in our life we have to realize God has things for us that he's calling us to be and saying this is what you are. And though we don't see it yet, and though we don't understand it, we have to believe that this is what God is calling us to do. Then he calls him a man of valor. And at that very moment, he's not a man of valor. He's actually a man of fear and he's hiding out from the Midianites. But God is good, and God tells him, look, what I'm going to do through you is I'm going to use you to deliver the people, to save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. And, and, Gideon, and Gideon's like, but my tribe is the smallest and the weakest. How could you use me? And the Lord says to him, I will use you and be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one hand. And so from this point on, what we see about Gideon is then he, you know, he, he believes God, but there's some doubt. And so this is where we see him, you know, he says, well, God, wait here for a second and and give me a sign. And the Lord honors that. I don't think that is meant to be a prescription for our life, but it's a description we read about here. I don't think it's necessary that we're supposed to test God in this sense. I think what would have been even more so has Gideon just said, God, you said this about me. You said this and I'm believing it. I'm going to go do it. And though he doesn't, we can all relate to that. There's all times in our life where God has said, that, said, I want you to go do this. This is what I've called you to be. You are a man of valor or whatever it is. And we don't immediately respond with faith and obedience. And so sometimes we're like, God, give us a sign. And it's because there's some maybe some doubt in our heart. And God is still merciful to that. And that's what we can see about God's character with his dealings with Gideon. It's not that I want to test God, but 
in this testing that we read about, we see how God is merciful and God is faithful. And so he completes the sign that Gideon asked them to do. And God asks Gideon now to do something. And this is what God says to Gideon. He said, Take your father's bull and second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, and with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And so even what we see here, is Gideon is a man who's not, he does not appear as a man of valor, but God is making him that. And slowly he, he did obey. He walked in obedience. Though it was difficult, he walked in obedience. So next, what happens is the armies of the Midianites and the Malachites come together and all the people of the east, and they are getting ready to attack Israel. And Gideon knows what he's called to do, right? He knows what God has called him to do. And so Gideon has this conversation with the Lord. And this is chapter 6, verse uh Verse 36, and it said, Gideon said, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. this is, And I think that's important. He says it again, if you will save Israel. Gideon is doubting once again. He's struggling with this unbelief moment where it's like, will God do this? I need him to, te- I need to prove, I need you to prove yourself to me. I need you to prove this thing. And again, I, w- I would say to us is that I believe Gideon at this moment could have just lived in faith and said, God, this is what you said. I will save Israel through my, by my hand. You will save Israel. So, Lord, I'm going out to battle. But instead, he does what we've read about so many times and we've heard this story about how he calls out a fleece and he tells God, let the fleece be soaked and wet in the morning, but nothing, not the ground. And God does it. And then he says, don't, he said, don't be angry with me, but one more time, let me speak and let me test, right? And he's testing God in this sense where he says, now let the, the fleece be dry and the ground be with dew. And it happens. And both times it happens. And I'm telling you, I, I truly believe the reason why it happens is because God is merciful and God is good. Even when we sometimes test God or have moments of unbelief, God is still faithful. I think it's important for us to understand that Gideon here, he was trying to discern the will of God, but the will of God was already told to him. He already knew what he was supposed to do. And it is important for us to discern the will of God when we don't know what's going on. But when God tells us to do something, we often say, God, this is what you said, and we need to act in faith. But we are creatures of doubt, and so we discern what the Lord has. But I pray that we would just obey as God calls. So we know how the story goes. God sends this, sends Gideon. He has this massive army. He's getting ready to go fight. And God lowers the number down, and it gets smaller and smaller to the point where there's only 300 men. And they go, and they defeat the Midianites. They f- defeat these armies, and they win the victory. And it's glorious. And and one thing I, I have to say is that the writers in the New Testament commend Gideon. They commend him because he lived of faith. Though he was not a perfect man, we see in his, in his dealings here, he lived of faith and he conquered and he did those things through faith. But Gideon's life doesn't end so well. Gideon, what we see is he becomes angry and he even builds an idol that causes the people of Israel to turn from God. It's a very sad story where they turn from the Lord and because of getting, building his own idol where people would come and worship. And so these judges, you're starting to see, they're not as, they're not as perfect as we might think. They're not as great as we, they might not, as we originally might have thought, but they're flawed too. 
And so the next judge we see, and I'm, I'm going to start going through these a little faster, is Jephthah. And Jephthah, this is a horrific, sad story. Jephthah is kind of like this mighty warrior. And I'm not going to go into all the details about him, but he's a mighty warrior. And he basically is fighting as the judge of Israel. And he says, if God will give me the victory, whatever the first thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice unto him. And, and so he wins the victory. And the first thing that comes out of his house is his daughter. And he sacrifices his daughter. And you know what I think about when I read this is like, you know that wasn't pleasing to God. But he was so confused on who God was. Jephthah did not know God. He, was the, he may have been the judge of the people of Israel at that time. But you can tell if he knew God's character and he knew the word of God and that, that Moses had given to the people, he would have not done such a thing. And so this, it's just what we're seeing is this trend where it's just getting horrific and horrific. And it's very sad stories where ultimately we lead into the man of Samson. And everybody knows the story of Samson. And Samson is a sad story. Samson was a character who started off with everything, right? He came from a, a household that wanted to serve God. And he had the strength, the blessing of God was on him, all these things. But he was so caught up in the pleasures of this world that he ultimately lost everything. Now we know that what was unique about Samson was that he was a Nazarite. And because of that, he had this long hair and and that was where his source of power was from. And it gets cut, right? That's what happens in the story. You know it all about Delilah, how she manipulates him. And you would be like, gosh, is he that foolish? But he's manipulated and ultimately his hair is cut and he loses his power. But it is incredible how this verse that you see in chapter 16 of that, of Judges, verse 22, it says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And I love that verse with the Samson story because it gives you a glimmer of hope that though Samson has been brought down to a place of humiliation and defeat, his hair is growing again. And we know that that was the source of his power. And so in Samuel's final moments of his life, a man who had lost everything, a man who, was, who lived for the pleasures of this world, God used him. And he called out to God and said, God, one last time, let me destroy the Philistines. And he did so, and he killed more that day than he did in his whole life. And so it's, it's a sad story that we see about Samson, because a man who had everything now ended in a downward spiral with his death, where I can't even imagine all that Samson could have accomplished had he followed God, but he did not. And so the story of the judges, the judges ends this way, where the judges themselves, we've seen, are not following God. The leaders of Israel are not even following God. But now the last parts of the chap of the book is that even the people are not following God also. And I want to go to Judges 19, and I want to end through 19 through 21, because this is a very difficult story to read. You read it and you're like, what's the point? Why does this happen? And let me just read to you the first verse of chapter 19. It says, In those days when there was no king in Israel, and this is such an important verse for us to understand, because this is the point that Judges is leading, is leading up to, is that there was no king. And so what happens in this story is we, we meet this Levite, and he has a concubine, and she flees from him and, and leaves him, and, and he goes and retrieves her. And on his way back from retrieving her, they pass through a village, a town um, that is of the tribe of Benjamin. And it's a very sad story. It's a very graphic story. But they pass through this tribe and he goes into this town. And as he's there, he, he, there's nowhere to stay. No one invites him in. And so he decides he'll sleep in the open square. 
And a man sees him, who's coming back from his, the fields, and invites him in and seems to be like he's going to bless him. And at night, the people of the village come knocking on the door and demand that they would have their way with this man, the, the Levite that had come through the town. And instead of this Levite, what the man does, and instead of them having their way with the Levite, they throw the concubine out there. And the men of the town abuse the, the, the woman all night long to the point that she dies. And it's a horrific story. This Levite then picks her up, puts her on his animal, leaves the, in the morning, and then he cuts her body up into 12 pieces and sends it out to the 12 tribes. And the sending out of the body parts was a declaration to the land of, look what has been done in the land of Israel, something that has never been done before. Who will pronounce judgment? And you have to remember the people have no king. They know not what's right. They did what's right in their own eyes. And so they decide to come against the people of Benjamin, their own tribe. And they have a civil war and they begin to fight Benjamin. And they respond and they slaughter the tribe of Benjamin to where there's only a few hundred men left in all the tribe. And they essentially almost completely annihilate a whole tribe of God's chosen people. And there's civil war and it's destructive. And it's a horrible story. You read it and you, you, you don't even know what to do with it. And then after that, they, they've realized what they've done. And they decide, well, we need to get wives for the Benjamites. And so they go and kidnap these girls so that they can have wives. It's just sad. It's a messed up. And the point of the story that it ends this way, it, it is as, as, sickening and as sickening as it is, it's to tell us this. They did all this because they had no king. This is intentional. This is very intentional. You see, the Bible is written in a way where a lot of times there are certain scenes in the Bible that when we read about them, later on in the Bible we'll read something that's very similar and it's supposed to flash us back to that moment. And if you think about the Levite's encounter in that town, he went to the town, he was in the square, he went into a home, the men of the city came to the home, demanded him, they wanted to use him and abuse him, and instead they threw the concubine out. It was to bring us back to understand this. If you remember back to the story of Lot in Genesis, of how Lot, the same thing happened with the angels that came to visit him. And at that time with Lot, those were the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were wicked. They were lost people. Of course, you know, they're going to do evil stuff. But now what we see here in the story of Judges is that it's no longer the lost people or the not God's chosen people. that are, It is God's chosen people who are doing the same evil acts and deeds of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. They're performing the same exact thing. And it shows you how corrupt these men and the people had become. Because they were following their own hearts. They were going their own way. They were following their own course. They were corrupted human beings. And I think this is something that we must understand about ourselves from this story is, y'all, we would do the same. We're no better than these people. Left to our own devices, we would grab after everything we want. That's what those men were doing. They were grasping at what they thought would please them. And that's what we do in, in our hearts without a king, is that we grasp after what we want for our pleasure. We grasp after everything. We want to rule and reign. And then the story about how they destroy each other, the tribes, teaches us this, is that even the people of God, if they have no king, 
can destroy each other over things. And so that's why what this story teaches us, it leads us into the book of Ruth, where we see the lineage of King David and eventually into Samuel and kings and the stories of the kings. But it's supposed to finish this off for us to understand Israel needs a king. Israel has to have a king. The book ends in verse 25. It says this, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But it also should be for us today in our context. We need a king. And we need a king like King Jesus. The only true king. You see, if we don't have a king like King Jesus, we will do horrific things. We will be people who will grasp after everything we want for our own pleasure and desires. And we can even be people who murder and kill one another over things. And that's what the world is. And even within the church, because that's what this is teaching us, the people of God have become corrupt. That even within the church, we can become evil and grasp after things. But if we have a king who will teach us and lead us and guide us and direct us into all truth, we will not fall away. And that's what they needed was a good king. And we have the perfect king, King Jesus, who we get to submit to and who loves us and who does not rule us like an earthly king with a heavy hand, but rules us with love and who's a servant to us in every way by dying on the cross for us. And so this is what the story leads us. It points us to Jesus. Remember when we talked about in the beginning of this whole thing about Bible talk, how does the Old Testament point to Christ? Well, it points to him this way. You and I need a king and the world needs a king. And that king is King Jesus. And we have the opportunity to submit to him and to proclaim to him to the world that we have found the king that they need. And so it's a beautiful message. So I hope that this book of Judges opened up your eyes to things. I pray maybe it ministered to you in ways. I pray you saw things that maybe you've never seen before. And I pray that this episode blessed you. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. For more FNT Bible Talk, be sure to subscribe and visit fntchurch.org for more information.